Hey, well, welcome, everybody. It's good to have you here. Thank you for joining us here at South Bay Community Church, all of you who are indoors and those of you who might be under the tent, those of you who are watching online, we want to welcome you uh, to our service today. Uh, as you may have heard on Friday, Los Angeles County lifted the mask mandate uh, for uh, any indoor activities. So th that means you can now go to Costco, you can go to Trader Joe's, you can go to Target, you can go to Chick-fil-A, and you don't have to wear a mask. So yesterday morning, I went to Home Depot, and guess what? All the customers were wearing their masks. And, uh, and you know the customers at Home Depot, right? They're all dudes. And they were all wearing their masks. And so I thought that was interesting. But I just wanted you to know that after uh, lengthy deliberations, our, our elders decided that, that we were going to go along with the mask mandate beginning next weekend. Not this weekend, but beginning next weekend, we're going to lift the mask mandate. You know, because we, and we feel a lot safer because of the, the uh, vaccine and all those kind of things. But we also wanted to wait an additional week so that we could kind of be in sync with the Torrance Unified School District which is gonna lift their mask mandate that very next Monday. And what we didn't wanna do was lift it this weekend, but the kids, we didn't wanna do it until the schools did, uh, kind of taking our cues from them. So next weekend, because of uh, Torrance Unified School District, uh, you can come to church and your kids can come to church. And if you don't wanna wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. So I just wanna let you know about that. Um, now, just because we have a, an, an optional thing doesn't mean you, have to take your mask off. No, I, my guess is most people will probably continue to wear a mask. And if that's you, you don't have to feel bad about that. Um, I probably would be able to recognize you with your mask on. If you take your mask off, I might not be able to recognize you anymore. We've gone, we've gone two years, right, without a mask. And now you, you come to recognize people with their masks on. Now it's like without their mask on, like, oh, who are you again? Oh, put your mask up. Oh, now I know who you are. <laughs> What crazy times, right? Who would have ever thought? But anyways, I just want to let you know that. And of course, um, if you want to know how this applies to our different ministries, to our groups, then you, you might want to check out the, uh, the e-news that we sent out on Friday. It kind of spells it out a little bit more. And then I just want to remind you, uh, you've done this so well. Um, and that is uh, continue to express a Christ-like uh, love toward everyone around you. Uh, and that means if, for example, you, you feel like you have some symptoms, you wake up with a cough or a tickly throat or uh, a stuffy nose or any of those things, then it probably might be best for you just to stay home. And we're so thankful that over the last two years, we have not heard of anyone catching COVID here at our church. And, and we really want to keep it that way. And then, of course, always be gracious to those around you. Um, let's not be judgmental about somebody who does wear a mask or who doesn't wear a mask. All right. Let's just continue to share uh, God's love and, and love on each other. And you, like I said, you've done that so well. Um, on one other really important note, um, a pastor I met several years ago on a trip to Ecuador with Samaritan's Purse, uh, Pastor Roger, uh, Texas, posted a message this week um, uh, that he received uh, from a friend that he has. Uh, I'll call him Alexander. I'm not going to use his real name. But his name is Alexander. He's, a, he's a, the president of a seminary, a Christian seminary, just outside of Kiev, Ukraine. And he posted the message that he received from him early this week. And I wanted to just share what uh, Pastor Roger posted about um, Pastor Alexander. Here's what Pastor Alexander wrote. He wrote, we are so grateful to be part of a big family of Christ. Thank you very much for your concern, prayers, and love for our, for our lives in Ukraine. 
Only by the grace of God and your prayers are we still alive. Our hearts are broken over the tragedy taking place in our nation of Ukraine. We're so sorry that we can't write you more often because internet connection and electricity most of the time is off. For a few days, we were in the basement of the seminary with a group of students. This morning was just horrible and frightening. Many buildings around us are completely destroyed by Russian bombs and missiles. Many people were killed. Uh, and he said, we're sending a few pictures, and I'll show you two of them right at the end of this. And he goes on, now we know the real meaning of the biblical phrase, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Please continue to lift us up, our families and our people before the Lord in your prayers. We love you and miss you a lot. May our Lord Jesus Christ bless, richly bless all of you. And it was signed, Alexander and his wife. And uh, these are just two of the photos that he he sent, and I didn't want to show the third one because it was a picture of his family huddled in the basement, and um, I don't know if it was safe or not to do that, so I just decided not to. But this is really, when I read this, this was truly heartbreaking. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are many Christ followers. There are tens of thousands of Christ followers in Ukraine. They say that it is one of the most um, heavily populated nations with Christians in, in that entire area. There might be millions of Christians there, and they are in need of our prayers in the worst way. In fact, last night, after I got home from church, Cheryl and I watched a, a news report. I think it was on 2020 by David Muir, and it was just, we couldn't even believe what's going on there. If, you, if you'd watch that report, you'd be absolutely shocked. You know, they're bombing their apartments and their homes, and, and people are dying, and they're pretty much defenseless against all that uh, artillery. So let's pray for them. And I want to ask you to specifically pray for Pastor Alexander. Again, not his real name, but God will know who you are referring to. Pray for him, his family, for the seminary students, for the seminarians. Pray for the nation that God would intervene so that this war will come to a swift end. Okay? So let's open up our time in prayer, and then we'll get into God's message this morning, God's word this morning. Now, Father, thank you so much. Lord, these are such insanely crazy times that we're living in. And Lord, how good it is to know that you are God who is completely, totally in control of all things that are going on today. And in that regard, we have nothing to worry about. We simply need to put our trust in you and you will take care of all. You, you actually know how this, this whole situation is gonna resolve itself. You know you know where it's going to go. We don't know what the future holds. And I know that many people are living in fear today over that. And I pray, God, that that wouldn't be, the, the, that wouldn't be true of, of any of us here. That we would put our trust in you and follow hard after you. And Lord, this morning we come. We want to lift up Pastor Alexander and his wife and his children and his seminary. In fact, for that matter, Lord, we want to lift up this precious nation to you. And we, we ask, God, for your protection and care over each and every one of them. Father, especially for Pastor Alexander, since we've heard his story, God, we ask for your special protection over him and his family. Lord, protect them from harm. And Lord, as he said that early this, you know, earlier this week, the morning, the day was absolutely terrifying and frightening. And we pray, God, that you would bring a sense of peace and calm to them. We pray that you'd hold their precious hearts in, in your hand and fill them with your peace and comfort and remind them that you're with them every step of the way. And Father, touch our leaders. Touch President Putin. Lord, bring, we ask that you would have your way with him and with all of our leaders. 
and that you would intervene in this situation and bring it to an end. So, Father, we are desperate for you. We have nowhere else to turn but to you, not only in times like this, but, but every time, every day, we need you. Lord, we need you now, and I need you now, God, that you would speak, Holy Spirit, you would speak, not me, but we pray, I pray, that we would hear from you. So thank you, Father. Bless our time and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, last week, we kicked off a brand new series here called What We Believe. And what we believe is kind of patterned after a systematic theology course that you might take at a Bible school or a seminary. Now, if you're not sure what systematic theology is, let me explain it to you. Let me start with the word theology, and we'll put this up here, the words up here for you, but let me start with the word theology and explain it to you. All right, you're all familiar with the suffix, ology, O-L-O-G-Y, you, you see it up there. We find ology in words like biology and anthropology and archaeology and cardiology. The ology comes from the Greek word logos, and it means word, but ology, you put it together, is, refers to the study of a particular subject, all right? It is, refers to the study of a particular subject, and thus cardiology would be the study of the heart, and biology would be the study of life. When it comes to the word theology, the first part of that word is theos, which is the name of God, which, is, which refers to God or means God. And when you put theos and ology together, it means the study of God. That's what theology is. And it's a very broad term. Theology is a very broad term. And it not only refers to God, but it refers to everything that God has revealed to us in his scriptures. It can be broken down, for example, theology can be broken down into numerous categories such as the study of Christ, which would be Christology, or the study of the Holy Spirit, which would be pneumatology, or the study of sin, which would be hamartiology, or the study of the church, ecclesiology, or the study of end times, that would be eschatology. There's even a study of God himself, and that one is not an ology. The study of God himself is referred to as theology proper, theology proper, the study of God himself. And we're going to hit on all of these categories and more probably during this series. And, and then when we get to eschatology, which is still a ways away, we might even address the issue of Russia's role in the last days and whether Putin is the Antichrist. And I'm sure that that's been on some of your minds. And so we'll get to that, but you got to keep coming. And uh, we'll get to his eschatology. I'm not sure when. Now, that, so that's the theology and systematic theology, all right? The systematic uh, is, a refer, is a word which refers to orderly or methodical or systemized kind of a, a thing here, all right? That's what systematic is, orderly, methodical, or systemized. And therefore, systematic theology involves the systematizing of all the truths about God and presenting it in an organized fashion. That's simply what it is, all right? So New Testament scholar Wayne Grudem who wrote a, a, a highly acclaimed book on systematic theology, said, quote, I'll put it up here for you. He said, systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the Bible teach us today about any given topic? And then according to Gospel Coalition, systematic theology is the attempt to organize all Christian doctrines in a logical order, all right? So that's what systematic theology is. And so that's what this series is all about. We want to give you a basic systematic theology course over the next few months and, and show you what the Bible teaches in a systematized, organized fashion. 
Now, most Bible scholars categorize systematic theology into anywhere from seven to 12 categories or subdivisions or compartments, seven to 12, right? Now, our initial plan was to cover seven of them over the next seven weeks and we would be done by Easter, right? Now, after last weekend's message from Pastor Greg, we realized that the problem is there is so much to say about each subdivision or category that if we stuck with that plan, what we would be doing is we would be merely skimming the surface and it would be, I think it'd be leave you wanting and we wouldn't, we wouldn't hardly cover anything. You wouldn't hardly learn a lot and wouldn't allow us to dig deep into God's word. And so this week we decided to tap the brakes, take our time. And we said, if it takes us 10 weeks, if it takes us 20 weeks, however long it takes, we're going to take the time and go deep so that you understand exactly what the Bible says in a systematized kind of a, a, a way. So um, that's what I want you to know. That's what systematic theology is. Today, my topic is God himself. So it's again referred to as theology proper or the study of God himself, all right? So as you can imagine, we could spend the next year, 10 years just talking about God. We could spend 10 years talking about him and we wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface because there's so much to say about God. He is inexhaustible, he is incomprehensible. But today I wanna tackle one simple subject about God and that is his existence. Does God exist? Now, shortly after the pandemic uh, gripped our world, spring of 2020, Jesuit priest named James Martin wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times in which he asked this question, where is God in a pandemic? Where's God in a pandemic? Here's a part of what he wrote. He wrote, quote, last summer I underwent radiation treatment and every time I passed through the doorway marked radiation oncology, my heart seemed to skip a beat. Well, I was in a little danger and he said, my tumor was benign, and yes, one sometimes needs radiation for that. I daily met people who were close to death. Every weekday for six weeks, I would hail a cab and say, 68th and New York, and York, please. And once there, I would stop into a nearby church to pray. Afterward, walking to my appointment in a neighborhood jammed with hospitals, I, pressed, I passed cancer patients who had lost their hair, exhausted elderly men and women in wheelchairs, pushed by home health care aides and those who had just emerged from surgery. But on the same sidewalks were busy doctors, smiling nurses and eager interns, and many others in apparently perfect health. One day it dawned on me, we're all going to 68th and York, though we all have different times for our appointments. And just the past few weeks, millions have started to fear that they are moving to their appointment with terrifying speed, thanks to COVID-19, to the COVID-19 pandemic. The sheer horror of this fast-moving infection is coupled with the almost physical shock from its sudden onset. As a priest, I've heard an avalanche of feelings in the last month, panic, fear, anger, sadness, confusion, and despair. And more and more, I feel like I'm living in a horror movie, but the kind that I instinctively turn off because it's too disturbing. And even the most religious people ask me, why is this happening? And where is God in all of this? Have you ever asked that question? Where is God? Where is God in all of this? Have you ever wondered whether he even exists? It's a question that's dogged man since the beginning of time. 
And I believe the reason why God, why man would even ask the question in the first place is because he desperately wants for God to exist. Man wants for God to exist. You know, when I, when I went to Japan for the first time eight years ago with Pastor Greg, one of the saddest sights that I saw uh, was this cluster of statues in the garden of the Zojoji Temple located next to the Tokyo Tower right there in, in Tokyo. At first glance, we thought, oh, they're, they're kind of cute. They're colorful. They got these little pinwheels. But what I didn't realize at the time was these stone carved statues represented the Japanese god Jizo, who is the guardian deity of children. This is Jizo, the guardian god of children. And parents would come to this garden, the temple garden, to pray to Jizo and to thank Jizo for watching over their children. And they would come and pray to Jizo. And when their child, if a child died, they would pray to Jizo and ask Jizo to take their little one and transport them safely to the, quote, pure land, unquote. That was Buddhism's paradise. Take them to Jizo. Because according to Buddhist tradition, children that die at a young age are denied entrance in the pure land because they haven't lived long enough to accumulate good karma. And so they would come and pray to Jizo, especially when their child died young, and ask them, ask Jizo to take them to the pure land. And Jizo is credited with smuggling these young children into the pure land under his red robe. And so parents pray to Jizo, and these statues are everywhere. They're everywhere. It is estimated that there are a million of these statues all over Japan. Add to that, the more than 150,000 shrines and the more than 80,000 Buddhist temples, not including the ones that you'll find in homes and in gardens and backyards and workplaces and even on the street. And the land of the rising sun, you can say, argue very easily, is teeming with false gods and false idols. And I believe it is evidence of how, just how much people want to believe in a higher power. Unfortunately, most Japanese have been, have been deceived by the devil into believing that God is some type of powerless, inanimate object. And it's not just the Japanese. It's true of every civilization that has ever existed. You can go back to the earliest civilizations. Every one of them had a slew of gods and goddesses, whether it was the Egyptians, who venerated, among others, Horus, who was their god of sun and sky. Horus was depicted uh, as a falcon with a man's body. Or the Mesopotamians who worshipped Inanna, who they viewed as their protector and provider. Or the Babylonians whose patron god was Shamash, the god of light and warmth. And of course, you know about the Greeks and, and all the gods that they worshipped and the Romans and the Aztecs and the Mayans. And the followers of Shinto and Hindu worshipped millions of gods. Not just a few gods, but millions. And so right out of the gate, Man has always wanted to believe that there is a higher power. Always wanted to believe that. Why? Why? Many centuries ago, French Protestant reformer John Calvin argued that the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God has been universally implanted into every man's heart. That's what he argued. Here's a quote. He said, quote, there is within the human mind and indeed by natural instinct an awareness of deity. And he coined the term, the Latin term, sensus divinitatis. Sensus divinitatis means a sense of deity. He said, we have a sense of deity. 
Calvin went on to say that it was thoroughly fixed in our bones. He also said it was stamped on the breast of all men, inscribed on every heart, those are his quotes, that God exists. Scriptures bear this out. The apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 1.19, verse 20. I'm going to give it to you in the NIV. It says, since, that, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You see, this passage tells us that the knowledge and the existence of God has been made known to everyone. Everybody knows that there's a God. It has been made plain. It has been made clear. And notice the, the personal possessive pronoun to them. It is, it's in the Greek, it is the Greek word altois. And some biblical scholars trans, translate altois as in them. So verse 19 could read, for what can be known about God is plain in them. It is plain in them. In other words, God created people with an innate sense that he exists, that he is real. God had put it in, God put it in us. And that was true for me. Years before I ever became a Christian, as a young boy and as a young teenager, I sensed that there was someone bigger out there, someone bigger than me out there. I assumed that that was Buddha. And I was wrong, but I assumed that there was someone bigger than me out there. That's sensus divinitatis, a sense of deity. So if you want to write this down, you can write this down. We know God exists because he has given us a sense of himself. Sensus divinitatis, he, he's put that in us. Now, I don't know if you know this, but my dream car, let me tell you my dream car is. It's the Tesla Model X. This beauty right here. A truly remarkable automobile. Let me tell you where it came from. Do you know where it came from? Let me tell you where this beauty came from. Billions of years ago, there was a massive explosion in space. And no one knows what caused the explosion, but it occurred, after it occurred, these gases started to mix with all the elements, with metal and with rock. And it gyrated and convulsed over millions and millions of years. And one day it spit out this symmetrically formed chassis. And it even had <laughs> four perfectly round tires on it. And millions and millions of years passed, more years passed, and the ultraviolet rays from the sun fused with the elements. And out came this battery pack. And wouldn't you know it, it fit perfectly right onto the chassis. And millions of more years went by. And out of this chassis rose up this body with curves and lines that were flawless and dreamy. And then this opulent rent paint just fell out of the sky. And it perfectly coated this body and left a lustrous shine. And inside the body, which miraculously fastened itself to the chassis, these plush leather seats sprouted out of nowhere. And a couple more years passed by and, and this cool looking logo pushed itself out of the skin of the hood and the trunk and prominently affixed itself right there for all to see. This is how we got Tesla Model X. Right? This is how we got it. And if you believe me, then please see me after the service because I have some property that I'm trying to sell in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. See, Tesla 
didn't come together by chance, right? We all know that. The Model X wasn't the product of some huge explosion that took place billions of years ago. And it didn't evolve. It didn't evolve over millions and billions of years. This technological wonder didn't just ooze up out of nothing. No. Someone designed it. In fact, in fact, a whole team of people designed it. And the reason why I know that is because the lead designer of the Tesla Model X is Bernie Lee, who comes to our church. And, uh, and no, he can't give you his employee discount. I already asked him. <laughs> you see, the Tesla Model X is proof of a designer. It is evidence of a designer. In the same way, our universe, with all of its complexities and all of its galaxies and all of its stars and solar systems and the earth, with all the people that are on it, didn't come from nothing. It wasn't the result of a big bang that scientists say took place billions of years ago. That's what the devil wants you to believe. No, that was a, that was a designer. That was a creator. And that was God. See, creation is 100% proof of a creator. 100% proof of a creator. Theologians refer to this, this as the teleological, teleological argument for the existence of God. I want you to take a look at what the psalmist said about this in Psalm 19. Psalmist said, that The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. See, day after day, the scriptures tell us that day after day, night after night, creation speaks. It has a voice. Even though you can't hear it, it talks. It, pour, it's, it pours forth speech and it declares the glory of God. You see, creation is 100% proof that God exists. And you can write that one down. We know that God exists because we see him in creation. It's there. All you need to do is open your eyes and you will see it. And you're without excuse. You know, when I was a little boy, I attended Malabar Street Elementary School in East Los Angeles. And every day, my brother and I would walk to school. It was safe to walk to school back then. And, um, and nearly every day, um, we, well, every day we passed by this little market on the way to school, right on the corner of Fresno and Winter Streets there in East Los Angeles, just a few blocks from the school. Every day we passed by this little market, this little corner market, and it was always bustling with children, kids going in and out before school and after school. Well, the other day I, I wanted to know if it was still there, so I went to Google Maps to see if that little mom and pop was still there, and it was, except that it was all boarded up, and it was just a shell of its former self. I never told anybody this, but I used to go into that market nearly every day. I went into that market nearly every day, usually after school. And I didn't buy anything because I didn't have any money. All I needed was a dime or a nickel to buy a stick of gum. And uh, I didn't buy anything, and I just looked. Every day I'd go in there and I'd look. And every time, and this is what I've never told anyone, every time I went in there, I always thought about taking something, like a sugar daddy sucker. Remember those things? Man, those things are so good. And if you didn't want to lick on, lick on one of those things, you just get the sugar babies. And you just pop those things in your mouth, and they're so good. Or an Abba Zaba. I love the peanut butter and the Abba Zaba, right? And I walked, when I'd walk into that store, I would check out the lady behind the cash register. And I'd just keep my eyes on her. 
And she's busy, I could tell. She is busy, you know, getting change, making change, getting money from the kids, giving them this, giving them that. And I just thought, oh, she's so busy. And then I'd hear this little voice. And this little voice would say to me, go ahead, take it. Abba Zabba, it's calling out to you. She'll never know. She'll never miss it. She won't see you. She's too busy. Go ahead and take it. I was probably about eight or nine at the time. It's a true story. About eight or nine at the time. I can't tell you the number of times that I'd reached into my pocket. Or I'd take my hand out of my pocket. And I began to reach for that candy. You know, ready to take it. And just when I was ready to take it, I'd hear another little voice inside my head. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a thought. And it would say to me, if you take that candy, you'll be stealing. If you take that candy and you don't pay for it, you're a thief. I would hear that voice. And you know what I did? I took my hand back and I put it back in my pocket. I know some of you thought I took that candy, didn't you? I know you thought that's what you, I know what you thought, Jolene. You thought I took that candy. No, I'm not a crook. But here's, here's the interesting part, right? Here's the interesting part about that story. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I'd never, go, I'd never gone to a Christian church. Went to the Buddhist temple, but I'd never gone to a Christian church. Never read the Bible. Didn't know that the eighth commandment of the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. I had no, I had no knowledge of God. Yet I knew it was wrong to steal. You know how I knew it was wrong to steal? Even at that age, I had a sense of right and wrong. You know, you know why? Because God put that in me. He put that in me. It came from God. Here's what Paul said about this in Romans 2, 14 and 15. And I'm gonna read it to you in the NLT because I think it's a little easier to understand. He wrote, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, the Gentiles, a Gentile is anybody who is not a Jew, all right? So probably most of you are Gentiles, all right? Um, so even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. All right, so as you know, I spoke about this a couple weeks ago, as you know, the, the laws of God were given to the Jews through Moses, right? He went up to Mount Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments, he gave him the entire Mosaic laws, a whole bunch of them, hundreds of them. And those laws were meant for the Jews. They weren't given to the Gentiles, right? They were given to the Jews. And so here's what Paul said here in this passage. What he said was, even though God's laws weren't given to the Gentiles, the Gentiles still obey them because, how do they obey them? Because the laws are written in their hearts. God put it in their hearts. That's why they know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. They know it because God put it into their hearts. This is crazy. This is radical stuff. In other words, God put his moral code. He put his moral code into us, embedded into our DNA, into our hearts. That's how I know. That's how I knew the difference between right and wrong as an eight or nine-year-old boy, even though I wasn't a Christ follower. You see, what separates man from every other living creature is that God implanted a sense of right and wrong into our hearts. Let me elaborate on this a little bit further. Do you know what these animals have in common? The hamster, the rabbit, the hippo, the chimp. What about the raccoon, guppies, polar bear, lion? You know what these animals have in common? 
They all eat their young, right? They all eat their young. I've seen this firsthand. When I was a kid, I had an aquarium, right? And one day, my dad bought us a pair of guppies, a, a, a mommy guppy and a daddy guppy. Actually, they were, you know, a male guppy and a female guppy. They weren't mommy and daddies yet. And my brother and I were so excited when one day the mama guppy had babies. We were so excited. Like, look at the babies, look at the babies. So, we were so thrilled. A couple days later, we'd go check it every single day. Right? And then a couple days later, we looked inside the aquarium and they were all gone. Wait, where did the babies go? Larry, what'd you do with the babies? Where did all the babies go? And we found out that mom and dad ate them. And I was shocked. And I was mad. I wanted to flush mama and papa down the toilet. I was so mad. You know, when, when animals eat their young, they do it for a variety of different reasons. You know, you can study zoology, for example, and, and find out about that. But I'm not going to get into why they do that. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what's, what I want you to know is so important. When they eat their young, they don't even give it a second thought. They don't even give it a second thought. They, they never hear a voice inside their head that says, that's murder. You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat your kids, right? That's cannibalism. That's cruel. How could you do that? It's not even a thought. Do you know why they, they'll never hear a voice like that inside their brains? Because God didn't hardwire them that way. He didn't put a moral code into their hearts. He didn't give them a sense of right and wrong. But he put that into us. He put that into us. And, and that means we are so special. We are different from every other creation on planet Earth. Because God made us in his image and he put his moral code into our hearts. And that's another reason why we know that God exists. You can write that one down. We know God exists because he put his moral code into our hearts. You see, God's existence is the best explanation for why deep down in your heart you know the difference between right and wrong. Who, who can explain that? How can you explain that? It's because God put it there, which means God exists. By the way, this is referred to as the moral argument for God's existence. And then the final reason we know that God exists, and by the way, there are more than just four. I've just given you four today, but there are more than four. But, but the, the fourth reason that we know God exists is because the Bible confirms that he exists. Right, it confirms it for us. It tells us that he does. Now here's what's interesting. The Bible is not set out to prove, does not set out to prove that God exists. Did you know that? The Bible does not set out to prove that God exists. Right? The Bible assumes that he exists. The scriptures assume that he exists. His existence is a done deal, so far as God's word is concerned. Um, and if you don't believe and if you don't believe that God is real, you know what you know what the scriptures say about that? Bible says you're a fool. If you don't believe God exists, then you're a fool. Not my words. <laughs> no emails, please. That's God. It's God's word. Take a look at Psalm 14.1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The guy that says, or the, the lady that says there's no God, the Bible says you're a fool. You're a fool because God made it apparent that he exists. How can you not know he exists? It's apparent to you. And so that's why he says, if you don't believe he exists, you're a fool. So here's the thing. If you know somebody who doesn't believe in God, don't go tell them they're a fool, all right? 
Now pray for them, right? Pray for them that God would somehow illuminate their hearts and minds, that they would see what's apparent, what's around them, that God exists. The problem that man has wrestled with since the beginning of time is, has not had to do anything with whether God is, right? The, the, the issue, the problem that, God, that man has wrestled with is not, does not have to, anything to do with whether God exists. That's settled. The issue that man has wrestled with is who is God? That's the issue, right? And the Bible answers that question. It tells us who God is. And we're going to explore that in the weeks to come. But I want you to write this one down. We know God exists because the Bible tells us who he is, right? So it tells us who he is. So why does it matter that God exists? Why does it matter that he exists? What, what difference does it make? Let me um, close with an illustration. Let's say this piece of rope represents your life, right? And the challenge that we all face in life is what are we going to do with the one and only life that God has given us? What are we going to do with it? How are we going to live our lives? Now, I, I'm, I'd guess that most people just want to be happy. I hear that all the time. What do you want? Oh, I just want to be happy. And uh, so how can you be happy? Well, I think most people think that money is going to make them happy. And the more money you have, the happier you're going to be. So they strive to, to get money. Other people think that love will make them happy. And so they, you know, all I want is I just want to be married. I just want to be married. That's it. And they think that if they're just married, that's going to make them happy. I mean, I think that for the most part, most people in the world, I'm just guessing, live by that scriptural idiom, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, that's what life's all about. Eat, drink, and be merry. But you know what the problem is? That along the way, as you go through life, along the way, the angel of death shows up. The angel of death shows up and, and then he cuts your life short. Cuts it. I got to turn this around. Cuts your life short. And it doesn't matter that you're a kid. Cuts your life short. You could even be a baby. may not even make it to a year old and he cuts your life short. Or maybe you're a teenager, you're in a car accident and your life is cut short. Or maybe you get married and then you find out that you have cancer and you've got a kid or two. Next thing you know, you're in hospice and you're gone. Or maybe you're fortunate enough to make it into your 70s or 80s or into older adulthood, but cancer comes or COVID comes or heart disease comes or Alzheimer's comes. Before you know it, your short little life is even shorter. Life is so short, isn't it? It is so short. That's the problem. James said that our lives are like a vapor. And your short existence is why God's existence matters. This is why God's existence matters because when you contrast this when you contrast our short little puny life with who God is, God is like, I mean, look at the difference. I mean, God is like, he goes on forever and ever and ever. I mean, God is measureless. He is boundless. 
He is so big, you can't even wrap your heads around him. You can't wrap your arms around him because God is so big. And he goes on and on, and his love is so big. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. It just goes on and on. I mean, all the way into eternity. That's how big God is. I believe the most consequential verse in the entire scriptures is Genesis 1.1. I'll put it up here for you, but you should all know this one. Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it, 10 words. In the beginning, God. And notice it doesn't set out to prove that God exists. It assumes that he already does. And it, what it tells us is, Genesis 1-1 tells us who he is and what he did. God is creator. And what did he create? He created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth refers to the universe. He created the universe. And if he created the universe, you got to automatically believe and assume that he's bigger than the universe. And he is. God is immeasurable and limitless. And that's why his existence matters. Because his existence gives our puny existence meaning. It gives us purpose. The fact that you're here means something. You're here for a reason. You're here on planet Earth for a reason. You're not here by accident. Your birth wasn't a mistake. You're not, and you're not here to take up space and you're not here just biding your time until you die. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what kind of a family you came from. It doesn't matter the, what the state of your health is today, whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. It doesn't matter that you're single and it doesn't, that you're, it doesn't matter that you're married with kids or you're married without kids. God's existence gives our lives meaning. So if you're thinking about checking out because you're not happy, don't. Because God has a purpose for your life. And let me tell you what it is. I'll tell you in very simple terms. Let me tell you what God's purpose for your life is. God's purpose for your life is not you. You're not God's purpose for your life. It's not you. You're not here for you. You're not here to put a smile on your face. And to be happy. You know what God's purpose for your life is? It's to put a smile on his face. We're here to put a smile on his face. We're here to please God. We're, to here, we're here to live for God. We're here to, to, to glorify God. We're here for him. And so, if you're thinking about checking out and ending your life, don't. Because God has a purpose for your life. If you're breathing and you're alive today, it's because God wants you here. Second, God's existence gives our short existence hope. It gives us hope because this is not all that there is. You know, this, this stuff, this is, not, this is not everything. There is so much more to be had. The Bible tells us that God is eternal. He, is, he goes on and on and on forever, for all eternity. And one day, when you decide to link up with God through faith in Jesus Christ, his one and only son, 
you will receive the gift of that eternal life and you will live with God for forever in heaven. You will live with him for forever in eternity, forever. Not a million years, not a billion years, not a trillion years, not quintillion years, but forever and ever and ever because God goes on forever. Amen, right? So, the most important question of the day is this. Do you believe God exists? Do you believe he exists? And I hope you do. I hope you do because he does. And if you don't, then search your heart. Because he's put it in your heart and he's all around. All you need to do is look around and be honest. And your life, if you believe God exists, remember that your life is not about you. It's about him. So live for him. If there was ever a time when we need to be living for him, it's today, right? Because we don't know when Jesus is going to come. He could come at any moment. I've been saying that for, for a while, but I believe it's true. If there was ever a time to link up with God, it is today. And I hope you do that. And if you do that, God will give your puny little life meaning and purpose and hope. Well, let's close our time in prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, again, I'd ask you, do you believe that God exists? I hope you do. Because he does. And if you've never put your faith and trust in him, if you've never said to God, God, I believe you exist. I believe I believe that Jesus was your son, that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead. Then tell him that today. In fact, tell him that right now. Tell him that right now, wherever you're at. If you're watching, you might be listening to this in the car. Tell him right now, God, I believe you exist. I believe you are real. And I believe... I don't believe you're an inanimate object. I don't believe you're carved out of stone. I believe you are the true and living God who lives forever and ever and ever for all eternity. And you created the heavens and the earth. And you gave us your one and only son, Jesus. I believe in you. And today, I surrender my life to you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to know what my meaning and purpose for, in this life is all about. And thank you for giving me the hope that one day, when life comes to an end for me, I will live forever and ever with you in heaven. Will you just tell him that? Say that to him. And your life will have meaning and purpose simply because God exists. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you are there. And Lord, thank you for opening our eyes, every one of us, we're not here by accident. We're not watching this by accident. You opened our eyes and you allowed us to see. Now help us to go out there and make something of our lives. Not by living it for us. Not by striving to be happy. But by living it for you. By living to glorify you. By living to put a smile on your face. Help us to live for that. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. And we pray these things 
In Jesus' name, amen.